How many of you enjoy working out? Raise your hand. All right, good. I'm going to be honest. The number was a little lower than I thought, but that's okay. How many of you, listen carefully, enjoy eating well, eating appropriately, healthy? How many of you enjoy eating healthy? Enjoy it. Okay, put your hands on. All right, so what we've decided in this room is that um, a very small percentage of you enjoy working out, and a very small percentage of you, even smaller, just a tad smaller, enjoy actually eating healthy. Now, here's what's interesting about this. Uh, First of all, working out, eating healthy, are both things that require self-discipline and self-sacrifice. They both require self-discipline and self-sacrifice. Now, the truth is, I'm going to answer for you. I I really would be hesitant to agree with most of you that said, I enjoy eating healthy. I think you enjoy what comes after eating healthy, but if you could be honest, there are some days when you just wish you could eat whatever was in front of you and not feel bad about it. Can I get an amen? All right. So that's, that's the real answer. Now, I do, I do believe there are some of us that enjoy working out. I, I'm one of those guys, and so I, I can understand that. But eating healthy is something that is, is great when you think about what's to come, but the process of it is tough. The reality is both of those things and many other things in life require self-discipline and self-sacrifice. Self-sacrifice says, I'm going to put this aside because what I gain from not doing or eating this matters. I'm going to sacrifice. I'm going to be disciplined in working out. Why? Because I enjoy the pain? No, not really, but because I enjoy what's going to come with that 12-pack that's going to come when I finish this workout, right? Because all you need is one good one, and your your abs are going to be ripped. I'm writing a book on how to do that. Just wait. It's coming. All right, just kidding. But the truth is, both of those require that sacrifice and that discipline. And here's what I want to talk to you about tonight. It's not about working out. It's not about eating healthy, though I think those are good things. They're important. The reality is, the idea of having a wedding night to remember. What, what do I mean by that? In case you were wondering, I know some of you stopped writing because what was he referring to? What I'm talking about is guilt-free sex with your spouse. Uh, this side is really pumped. That's great. I'll, I'll, I'll lean this way a little more throughout the... The key, the key to that happening is going to be the same thing as the key to eating well or working out. It is self-discipline and self-sacrifice. That's going to be the key. Now, I'm not going to talk to you about the how-tos because that's not what this is about. What I want to show you, though is that that moment right there is actually something that all of us should be really, and I'm already married, so it doesn't matter for me, it's already, already there. But for those of you that are single, it is a moment that you should be so excited about, and God has ordained that. God has created sex. He's created everything around sex that is holy. He has created, he's given it, it is a gift. He did it for you and for I. It is a good thing. And I think as a church, we have to be so careful because what, what tends to happen is we either minimize or we rationalize. We minimize, meaning we don't talk about it very much because we're not quite sure how to deal with it or it just gets a little uncomfortable. Tonight's going to get uncomfortable. Just get ready. You're not the one on stage, so just relax. All right, but it's going to get uncomfortable. But also what happens on the other side is the church is, and it's not just the body of Christ, but those that speak on behalf of the church that write books, we're beginning to rationalize. We're beginning to say things like, look, it's just really hard in this day and age with this generation. It's really difficult. So, so maybe it's not that 
bad. I mean, I, I can't imagine being a young person and trying to deal with the temptation of, of giving in early, if you will, and not waiting to be with their spouse for the first time on that wedding night. And so if we're not careful, we begin to rationalize or we begin to minimize. We begin to just not talk about it. We begin to kind of put our heads in the sand and pretend it's not there. Here's the truth. I'm not naive. I know that what we are about to talk about is one of the more difficult things young people are going to go through because I've been there with you myself. I know that. I know that in the day and age that we are living in, it seems impossible, and there's many people that have told you that's true. It is, it is an impossible thing to do. I mean, here's some reasons why. Number one, people get married so much older nowadays, so that's that many more years that you've got to fight temptation and make right choices. And then they begin to go on and say, and then you think about pornography, and it's just so easily accessible. In fact, all you have to do is turn on the TV, and you can almost see those things. Every movie seems to have something like that. It's so easily accessed. Your minds are so jaded before you're even into your teen years. And then people will say, and nowadays we've got all these things, all these options for you to find ways to hook up with people. You don't even have to have a relationship with them. Swipe right, swipe left, all these other different things. All of this is making it so easy for us to stumble in these areas. And it's easy to just go, man, this is just too hard. Let's just put this aside, pretend it's not happening, and we'll move on. And here's the point. I'm going to be honest with you. The Lord cares about this. And he cares about you. And I'm here to tell you that you should care about this too. You should care about this because of the people sitting next to you. You should care about this because of your spouse that's coming one day or maybe sooner for some of you than later. You should care about this. It should matter because you love people. I'm, I basically gave my whole sermon there. I, I need to slow down so I can take it piece by piece. Um, I was supposed to stop at working out and eating right, self-sacrifice. So let me pick up there so I don't forget anything. Because I have tons of things that I want to say. In fact, this should be a five-week deal. But we're going to make it one night and it's going to be okay. Now let me just remind you quickly. Some of you are like, if he prays again, I'm out of here. <laughs> Heading for the door. We've talked about being single. We talked about having a singular focus on God, how important that is. We talked about uh, the friend zone. We talked about how it helps us to see each other clearly, how it also helps us to be the church. We talked about when we become Facebook official. If you've missed any of these messages, look, I get no gain when you go watch them later on, but I want to encourage you that they're all building on top of each other, and I think we've covered some really important things. And so I want to encourage you, if you've missed any of those, to go and watch those. Last week, we talked about put a ring on it, and then like eight of you got engaged. I'm just kidding. I didn't have it. All right. That would have been funny. Um, But we talked about putting a ring on it, and really the idea was, hey, before we take that massive step, what are some of those final things we need to deal with? Some of those things we need to clarify. We need to make sure we understand or we get it so that we're ready to take that next step. And tonight, we're going to zero in on having a wedding night to remember. And my hope is this, that you would keep that as the focus. It's about the wedding night. I'm not going to try to preach to you about all the things you can't do and all the things you shouldn't do and make you feel bad. That's not what this is about. But I want us to put our our mind and our focus for a moment on that moment that's going to be coming for some of you soon. All right, if you're in a relationship right now, maybe maybe it's coming soon. I don't know. That might have just got really awkward with your boyfriend or girlfriend because you were wondering when they were going to ask. And now you know. You'll have to talk about that later. But the reality is that's going to be our target tonight. And we're going to look at how and what do we need to do to get ourselves 
there. Okay, so I hope it's going to be helpful. I hope it's going to be practical. And that being said, let us begin. Here's the first thing I want to say to you. We are capable of doing in minutes what we would regret for decades. We are capable of doing in minutes what we would regret for decades. Now, this just isn't in this category. This goes to the span of life. In your career, you could take a few minutes to make a bad decision that would radically change the way you see your career for the rest of your life. There are so many ways that this is relevant. But what I want to point out to us tonight as we just get started is that every little detail really does matter. Every little thing is important when we're talking about this subject. Every area that you might think, well, that's just, that really isn't that big of a deal. I want to encourage you that it probably is. And what's happened is Satan has most likely kind of started to mess with your mind and to get you to think about things, or he begins to confuse us, or he begins to lower the threat level of different things so that we would stop worrying about it. that whole head in the sand idea. That's Satan all over it. He loves it. He wants us to be so confused, to have no idea how to handle the things in front of us so that we will fail miserably. Listen, Satan is not some enemy that's just looking every once in a while to kind of give you a little poke or a little pry with his little pitchfork. That's not how he operates. He is looking to destroy you, to ruin your life, and to make you think it's a good thing while you do it. That's what he wants to do. That's the kind of enemy that we're trying to face. And so however he can confuse us and frustrate us and misguide us, he's all over it and he loves it. Here's the other thing that's really hard. If you've been in the church a long time, you might have seen this. There's been some good men and some good women that have not modeled this well for us. They have gotten up there and they have preached or written books or spoken at conferences. They've done a fantastic job, yet only to find out years later that they've been struggling with some kind of an affair, some sexually immoral thing on the side for many, many years. And it's confusing. When you watch movies, have you ever wondered um, when these, these actors and actresses do these sex scenes and then they're married to other people? Do you ever, like, do you ever think about like, how, how weird that's got to be? Like, hey, babe, going to work. I'll just leave it at that so we don't run our imagination to it. It's just a weird deal. But, but that's what the culture we're living in, right? And then they'll get on, on a talk show and talk about how much they love their spouse and all these things. But yeah, you look at this and you go, this, this is so confusing. Maybe that's the right way. Like maybe it's not that big of a deal. I mean, if they can do it, then I can. And that's what Satan wants to do. He wants to confuse us and to throw us off the path. Now let's begin. What I'm going to do tonight is just try to answer maybe some questions or some thoughts that come up when we talk about this category, when we talk about this struggle. Here's the first one. Why does this even matter? And maybe there's some of you here tonight and you go, I don't really get why you're even talking about, why why does this even matter? Here's what I want to say to you. If you're not a Christian, all right, if you haven't chosen to follow Jesus, which is fine, we're glad you're here, we're so glad you're here, because we want you to learn and see what this is all about. But I want to remind you that some of the things we'll talk about tonight are driven from that relationship. So if you don't have that relationship, you're going to look at it and go, that doesn't quite make sense. I'm not sure why they get that. I hope one day you will when you step into relationship with Jesus Christ. For those of you, though, that are in relationship with Jesus Christ, can I just remind you that this is something that God has laid in front of us. It's not something he threw out as, hey, maybe this is a good idea. Why don't you think about it if you want to pursue this? He has said, this is what I desire for my children, the children of God, to do. Now, that being said, let me share with you a verse, and I'll use this passage throughout the remainder of the night. It comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 6. It's verse 13 and following. Listen to what Paul says. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up 
by his power. Now, the first thing we need to note is this. Sexual immorality is not just a struggle for the single people. Sexual immorality spans the whole walk of life. What most people think is, well, when you were single, this is really important because, man, it's a struggle and all these things. But the truth is, when you get married, there's the same struggle still there. In fact, what we'll talk about in a minute is that most of what you do in your singleness sets up what's going to happen when you're married. And so why we're talking about this now is because the implications affect the years to come. But it's important to note that once you get married, this doesn't just come off the table. There are so many things, but this is a single group, so we're not going to go into that. But it's important to keep that in mind. Now, here's the first reason. Why does this even matter? Here's what it is. Here's what Paul had said. Your body was created for the Lord, not for whatever you desire. Your body was created by, let me add that, and for the Lord, not for whatever you desire. Now, does God give us free will? Of course, that's the beauty of being a believer. We get to choose that which we follow. But we need to be really clear here. God has created you with a purpose. God has created you with great intention. God has redeemed you at great sacrifice. And by that, your body is not to just be used and thrown around. It is of a great price and of great value and of great worth. And this isn't God up there like a little pincushion saying, well, how can I torture them some more? Let me dangle in front of them the beauty of getting to have sex with someone and then tell them they can't do it. No, God says, I have created this gift for you, but I've created these confines or I've created some restrictions to help you experience that gift in its fullness. So God says, first, I want you to remember, and he's saying this through Paul, that your body, it was created by me. It was for me. Not for you to just go do whatever you choose to do. And this is so important. So then some people think, okay, then why was sex created? Why do we have these desires? What's the point? Well, let's remember. First of all, Sex helps two people become what? One. Scripture tells us that. You probably heard it at a wedding recently if you were there. Two people becoming one, that physical act happens through sex. It is to create intimacy for two people within marriage. That's a beautiful thing. Sex is also to create kids. That's why when someone comes to you and says, I got pregnant, I don't know how, and you just look at them and go, oh, fascinating. You should probably go back to school. Learn about the basics of life, brother. Like, come on. You knew what was going to happen when... Anyways. But the third thing is, with both of those things helping to move forward the plan of God. Don't miss that. Both of those help move forward the plan of God in your life and potentially soon with your spouse. To become one, the beauty of the scriptures, but also to bear children. This is glorious. And then he says, and while you're doing those two things, I'm going to give unmatchable pleasure to come alongside of that. Isn't that a beautiful thing? But in our culture, in our world today, it's all about the pleasure without the true reason behind it. Without the true purpose. And so God says, your body was created for the Lord. I gave you your body and I gave you sex as a gift to be used. And I want you to enjoy it. I just want you to keep it in the confines. But the enemy wants to confuse us of that. The second thing and why does it matter is our struggles pre-marriage lead to our future struggles in marriage. Here's where it's going to get uncomfortable if it hasn't gotten uncomfortable for you already. Pornography 
Solo sex, masturbation, whatever one you want to use. I just say both so you all feel uncomfortable. Sleeping around, they all destroy your mind and your heart. They all, now, not destroy in a way that they can't be redeemed. Don't miss that. We'll talk about that at the end. But they mess with you in ways that you can't imagine. Let's talk about pornography for a moment. Now, I'm not an expert on this, okay? But I've talked over this for many years. First, pornography, and I'm not going to give you all of them. Let me give you this one. Pornography affects the way you see your spouse, okay? So, uh, by the way, when we talk about pornography, we talk about masturbation, don't, don't be thinking, it's just the guys, they're so sick, I can't believe, it's the girls too, trust me, in this very room, I know we have the same struggles, okay? Now, there may be more guys, I won't deny that, that is true, but it's both, so don't just write this off, okay? This is important. Now, here's the thing, when you engage in pornography, as well as so many other things that happen, there's one big thing that happens, It affects the way you see your spouse. Because now you will look at your spouse and expect your spouse to look like and do the things that you are watching on the screen. Just think about that for a minute. You spent however long, couple minutes, couple hours, or for for months at a time throughout your life studying. Now, you didn't think you were studying, but you were studying, you were watching, you were soaking in, you were burning these images in your mind, and then you're going to look at your spouse one day, if not right now, and you're going to expect that he or she will be doing the same things with you. And the truth is, most of them will not. In fact, most porn stars will tell you they hate their life. In fact, they use drugs and alcohol just to get through every day. And most of the time, you can hear the women vomiting in the bathroom in between their scenes because they absolutely hate that which they do, yet they feel like this is the only way that they can provide for their families. Most of them start enjoying it, and then they get to that place. Listen, it's not real. So it jades you. It affects the way you see people. Listen, guys and girls, it affects the way you see each other right now in this room. You see a female and you, you, maybe not every time, but eventually you just can't, because that's what Satan loves to do, you just can't help but start to see and look and think of them in these ways. It messes with us in ways that are hard to even put into words. And then we talk about, oh, by the way, pause, okay, this is important. Now, some of you might ask a question, this is a great question. If my, I think this actually came up in, when we asked y'all to send in questions. If my boyfriend or girlfriend is struggling with pornography, do I need to break up with them? It's a good question. It's a really good question. Here's what I'm going to say to you. Pornography is not going to be a mandate to break up, but it is major reason for concern in your future. So with that, most of you will probably choose to part ways and let them figure that out and then, and then maybe deal with something later on. But I want to be really clear. That's not a mandate, but I will be super clear on this. It is a great indication of the struggle that's going to be coming years to come. Because what a lot of, a lot of people will tell you is that, man, I'm just using this right now until I get married. But then once I get married, I won't need this anymore. But what happens almost every single time is once they get married, they just continue on doing it. And now they're doing it on the side while you're married, and it begins to really mess up the marriage, particularly the intimacy that comes with it. So this is real stuff. Now we talk about, I'm going to use the phrase solo sex. And this is a big deal, again, for men and women, okay? 
I've had conversations with many of you in this very room about this, many people over the years. This is a real deal, okay? Don't, don't write this stuff off. This stuff, it, it's, the imagery, first of all, is the big key here. And people say, well, is it wrong? The Bible doesn't tell me that I can't do that, and you would be correct. There is no clear indication in the Bible that tells you you can't do this. But here's the thing. Just think, have you ever been able to do it without thinking of someone? I mean, just think, don't, don't raise your hand, just think about this. Because if, if you have thought about someone, even, even just remotely to get you to that point, what you've done, as Jesus will tell us in the scriptures, is that you've looked lustfully upon a woman, and in his eyes, it's no different than actually committing adultery with them. And so what we have to remember is that this is something that is an imagery issue. It burns these images in our mind. It causes us to look at our sisters or our brothers in Christ in a way that's unholy, that's ungodly. And if their spouse were to find you doing that, they would beat you down to a pulp. Then we have the issue that comes with tolerance. The longer you do it, the more it takes to arouse you. The more it takes to arouse you, the more crazier the places you will go. The more crazier the sights you will look at, the, you will start bringing other things into this moment with you, and then guess what happens? You begin taking steps outside of those lines, and by the way, this is the main reason how human trafficking has continued to survive, because it all starts all the way back with pornography, which is almost always inevitably connected to masturbation. So you have the tolerance effect. And as it builds, and as it grows, and grows, because as we feed something, what happens? It grows. It becomes out of control. And then here's the other thing, and this is very interesting. Almost always, when this is involved, it's connected to some kind of emotional thing. And it's never positive. You were angry, you were sad, you were lonely, you were depressed, and it led you to these thoughts. Almost always. So what we're talking about here is something that, guess what? It's going to affect the marriage that is coming, whether that's in a few months, a few days, or a few years for you. And what we're saying is not to harp on you and walk out of here with your head held down, but to say, man, listen, I need to surrender this to the Lord so that he can work this out in me, so that I can step into a new season, boldly approach that person that I want to give my life to in everything that I am, and have no worry about the struggles that I'm bringing to the picture. This is so important. Here's the next thing. She was made in his image. He was made in his image. Every one of us were made in the image of who? The image of God. We weren't thrown together last minute. We weren't pieced together with leftover parts and God just said, well, let's just throw another one of those Tims out there. Let's throw another one of those Prentices out. There's not many Prentices, but you get the point. Let's throw another one of those out there. Let's just pull it together. No, 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 no. God, with such intention, with such passion, with such clarity of you being a part of his story and taking his story and spreading it throughout history. He says, I'm going to create you, the son, the daughter. You're going to be one of my children. I have everything in store in line for you. I cannot wait to bring you to this earth. Sure, you don't look like the person sitting next to you. You're welcome. I made you unique. I made you special. Sure, you don't act like everybody else. I created you that way. It's this beautiful thing. But then guess what happens? We begin 
to look at each other in a way that doesn't link up with being a child of God, more importantly, them being made in the image of God. We get a little selfish, if we could be honest. We start meeting our own needs, forgetting about who they are in, in Christ. Listen, that, that girl, if I speak to guys for a minute, that girl was not created to be a notch on your belt. She was created to be a treasured spouse. That guy... And I don't know, girls, if you have notches on your belt, I don't know. But that guy was not created to be just another boyfriend that you had relations with. He was created to be a treasured spouse. And when we don't stop and think and embrace this thought, this idea, we start treating each other like we're just dirt. We're just another thing to pass through to get to the next thing. And it's heartbreaking. Verse 16, continuing on in this passage, it says, or do, and these are some harsh words. Do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. Now listen, let, before I go any further, let me remind you. As I speak to you on these things, I have had at one point in my life had to speak to myself. Okay, I made all of the mistakes that you can imagine with multiple people. Okay, so I'm not harping at you as some guy that was perfect and I just hope you can kind of follow in my lead. No, I modeled this bad for you as well. Okay, I want to be honest with you. But I care about you and I've been there and I know how dangerous and I know how scary and I know how hard and I know how damaging this can be. And so I'm speaking to you from the bottom of my heart because I want to see you not make the same mistakes, okay? Now here's what I want to say. It says that two will become one flesh god says when you get married and those two become one you're going to be joined through your intimate through sex that's what's going to bring you together as one isn't that marvelous that's why you were created male she was created female you can try to work that all you want in two males and two it doesn't work it's created male and female because they come together perfectly i hope that wasn't too much imagery for you now let me ask you this if every time you sleep with someone you become one with them. How many people have you become one with? And how many people do you want your future spouse to have become one with so that you can become one with them and your spouse? See, when we begin to look at it just with a little bit of a different perspective, we look at each other through the image of God, all of a sudden, it makes us at least for a moment go, ugh, that's different. That's not how I saw it, because I wasn't in the moment when we were in the back of that truck. I don't know if you still do this, but in the back of that truck with the windows up and the steam going in and that genuine music playing. Oh, that's way too old for y'all. I wasn't thinking about that. I was just thinking about my moment. And then he said things like, but if you love me, if you love me, you'll show me that love by being with me. And you'll go, that makes sense. I do love him because you're, you're emotional. That's a good thing. You're emotional. I do want him to know that I love him. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this because I, I, and what you've done, guys, is use the emotional to get to the physical. And ladies, what you've done is use the physical to get to the emotional. And you've both taken advantage of each other. And it's possible that you didn't even know it. And God says, but listen, when you come together, you become one. I didn't, God did not create you and I to be with the multiple people. He created you to be with one. That there would be no sharing. 
man, it changes the perspective. It changes the perspective. When you're made in his image, let me tell you what happens. When you grasp this idea, it makes you want to have boundaries. Because all of us would admit, especially the guys, but let's be honest, all of us would admit that this is a hard thing to do when you don't plan ahead. You're hanging out late at night, you find yourself in trouble and you wonder what happened. Right? You're watching Fifty Shades of Grey and then you wonder what happened. Let me help you. You watched a porn movie and then you hung out with your boyfriend. And then you looked at him like, you're such an animal. Why do you want, why do you want to do these things right now? Because he just watched them on the screen. I've never seen the movie, but I was told all about it, let me just tell you. Let me just tell you. Boundaries look alone, are alone time, too. Let's be honest. Listen, there's some of you that you could be alone with your boyfriend or girlfriend, and it's not a problem. You guys could sit down, watch a movie by yourself, and it's, just, it's not a problem for you. But there are many of us in this room that it, it would be a problem, or at least maybe the first time not, but over time it would become a problem. You have to know yourself. And you have to protect yourself. And then you have to remember the great phrase that we're always talking about, that 99% of all relationships fail, and so you don't know what's going to happen. And because of that, boundaries are needed. Because you care about them, not just about you. Let's move on to the next thing. Number three, this is good. Don't fight when you should flee. Don't fight when you should flee. Now I'm about to get very practical for all of you in the room. Someone, everyone's going to hear something I hope that's going to be helpful. Let's first look at this. It says, verse 18, carrying on the same passage, flee from sexual immorality. Now when he writes flee here, he's writing in a present imperative, meaning keep fleeing. Don't just flee one time and shout the victory to all your brothers. Hey, I did it. I, I avoided it. And then the next night you have the same problem and you fall. All right. It's a continuation here. You're always looking to flee these moments so you're not having to stand and fight. Look what Paul writes to Timothy in uh, 2 Timothy 2.22. So it's almost the same thing. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness. So here it comes. You ready? This is what maybe, I hope none of you in this room are thinking it, but I'm going to help you. How far is too far? The age-old question that no pastor ever wants to answer, by the way. How far is too far? Now, I said this a couple weeks ago, and some of y'all came up and were confused. I said, if you're asking that question, it's probably a heart problem. And you didn't understand that, and I apologize. I should have been more clear, so I'm going to explain it to you right now. If you're asking that question, you're not worried about pursuing the Lord and bringing him godliness and protecting your boyfriend or girlfriend. You're worried about how far can you go to receive all of your own satisfaction without crossing the line and dishonoring the Lord. It's a heart thing. It's a heart thing. Now, I don't, I don't, want, I don't want to beat you up because some of you, this may be something new that you're trying to embrace, but I just want to be very honest with you. It's a heart thing. Because if our heart's in the right place, we're not even worried about that question. The only thing we're worried about is how, Lord, can I honor you? How can I protect her because she matters more than my own sexual desire? It looks a lot different. So how far is too far? Well, let me ask you this. What do you want your spouse to say? That may have been too deep, I'm really sorry. When you finally meet your spouse and you have that conversation and you get to sit down and go over your history together, 
uh, which is never a fun conversation. I might share my moment with Sarah later on with you if I get a chance. You sit down and have that conversation. What do you want him or her to say? Well, I thought, you know, too far. Well, as long as we, you know, as long as you know, we, 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 you know, you could go here and here. And then you're looking at her and you're going, wait a minute. So how many boyfriends did you have? And that was too far. So most likely every boyfriend you had, you experienced that moment with them. And you're beginning to swallow that and think about that. And you're going, I don't like that. I don't want it. So let me ask you a question. What would you want your spouse to say? That's probably going to be the answer. But in, just in case some of you are not, not sure how to handle that, here's what I'll say to you. I made up a little cute phrase. I don't know if it makes sense, but I made it up for you. The chin up while dating leaves you fresh from the neck down on your wedding night. Okay? The chin up while dating leaves you fresh from the neck down on your wedding night. Now, some of you are going, amen, because you're single and you ain't got to worry about this right now. Some of you are going, man, we got to talk when we get home, babe. I'm just, we got to talk about this. We got to talk about that. We're just being real. It's just open, open communication with only me talking. Uh, <laughs> Here's what I want to share with you, though. When we talk about this, guys, I want to have fun with you, but I, I want to be as serious as I can, too. How far is too far is, is just your heart. Your heart should never want to ask that. Your real question should be, what can I do to make sure we never even have to deal with that question? What can I do to protect her, to protect him? Ladies, you got to understand that guys struggle with lust. It's just real. They do. A guy shows up in here with short shorts, it doesn't even bother you. You're just laughing at him. But a girl shows up in short shorts, it's a whole di- Dudes are struggling. And then you look at them and you go, you're sick. You're sick. Why do you always look at me like that when I wear the low-cut shirt and the short shorts? I don't understand. You're so sick. Because you're not realizing the struggle that's there for the guys. That's important. That's important. Now, is it your responsibility to control the guys? No, it's not. It's their responsibility. But it sure is nice when our sisters in Christ can come in and help us do this better. It does. It matters. It's a hard thing. And here's the thing. If you spend, just think about this. Okay, I don't know. Maybe I'm talking to a group of people that have never experienced this. But I'm going to assume that's probably not the case. You started dating someone, and you took it slow, so you waited a week, and then you started sleeping together. Sorry. Sorry, not sorry. Okay, so you started sleeping together. Listen, listen. You started sleeping together, and from day one to that moment, you were having pretty good conversations. Now, it's possible, it's possible that there were conversations trying to get somewhere. That's very real. But you were having some good conversations because there was nothing in the way. But then as soon as you started sleeping together, it became the priority in the relationship. Now, the girls may not always agree with this, and that's understandable. But most likely what happened is it became the end result of every time you got together, if it was possible. So what happens is you're no longer building a relationship on truly getting to know each other, truly trying to understand, like we talked about, see each other for who they really are. It was all centered around or at least ending with this moment together. And so this is something we have to think about. Now let's move on for a moment. Let's look at, where's all, all my, don't raise your hand, my engaged couples. Let me speak to you for a moment. Because this is big. We get engaged and it's like, okay, we made it this far. There is a ring on it. We're done, right? Like, it, it, it doesn't even matter. You are my one. Let's just become one before the ring's on it. No one will ever know. Here's what I want to say to you. 
you could probably get away with it. No one would ever know. And that would be between you and her or you and him, whatever. But what I'm telling you is if you can make it that far, you made that night that much more special. And that night again is the target. That's what we're looking for because we have complete freedom because we did it the right way. So engaged couples, what you probably have to do, what's going to sound a little weird, you need to put more space in between you. Like, go play in the wedding. Just stay away from each other. The guy don't even want to help anyway. I'm just being honest with you. All right? Just stay away from each other. Get serious. Hey, we're going to do this. Or anytime you're together, just keep one of the moms around. All right? That'll change everything, okay? Just get serious, though. Why? Because you care. Because you want that moment to happen and to be special. What is it like? What is it like to work for six months eating healthy and then you blow it? It's horrible. You get so mad at yourself. Why would you not want to have the same kind of priority in this moment? And something that's going to be so special and so unique. Listen, the greatest sex you're ever going to have is the first time you have sex with your spouse if you do it the right way. It'll be the greatest thing you've ever experienced, I promise you. That's what we're trying to aim for. So engaged couples, you've got to be careful. Here's the other thing. There's some, maybe here, I don't know, but that living together or have lived together or whatever. Living together, okay, whether you're engaged or not. Culturally, it's pretty normal. It's just the way it is, kind of how everyone does it, everyone does it. Um, I remember when um, I, I told y'all a couple weeks ago that I uh, officiated Jody and Chris's wedding. And I remember when Jody was telling her family, like, we just, we're not, we're not living together. We're just not doing that. We're waiting until we... We get married, and they all just looked at her like she was crazy, nutso. It made life more difficult because her apartment got flooded in the storm. It was just crazy, and, and they all, her family just didn't understand, could not get it, thought she was weird because culture doesn't get it. Like I said, if we're not under the word of God, culture doesn't understand those same convictions that we have as believers. But listen, if you're living together, you, you are, again, remember, probably not going to marry that person. Sorry. Probably not going to happen. But here's what could happen. You ready for this? When the Lord tells you, hey, this was fun while it lasted, but this isn't the person you're supposed to be with, and I need you to move on, it's going to be that much harder to move on because you are living together. You just went and took something that, that should have been a simple, remember we talked about, man, you break up, you just let it go because there's someone better for them, there's someone better for you, no problem. Now we made it that much more difficult. So we've got to protect ourselves in these moments. Here it is. Is it possible? And is it worth it? Is it possible? The answer is yes. I wouldn't spend my time talking to you if I didn't think it was possible. I believe it's possible, but I believe it's difficult. Second Timothy 2.22, again, let me read it. It says, so flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness. There's the kicker, folks. I could have left all the other uncomfortable stuff out and we could have just focused right here. If we pursue righteousness, it changes how we see sin. Example, if all you're trying to do is not sin in life, whatever that is for you, you're going to have a real hard time really growing in your faith because you're simply just doing circles trying to deal with sin. But if you will say, you know what, I know there's things in my life that I don't need to do, that I don't want to do, but I'm not going to worry about that. I'm going to simply just put my eyes on Jesus and pursue him. And as I pursue him and start to look more and more like him as I become obedient and follow the things he's asked me to do, what you're going to realize is that this sin and him 
don't go together, and naturally sin's going to begin to fall off, and you're not going to have to go through a checklist of all the things that you shouldn't do anymore. As you spend more time with the Lord, things are naturally going to fall off. As you spend, listen, when I started to, when I gave my life fully to Christ when I was 21, what I realized was that there were things that I was doing that didn't belong with the Lord, but it all didn't happen overnight. It was a journey, it was a process, but as I spent more time studying the word so I knew who he was and becoming close to him, these things began to just fall off. Things that I just didn't want to participate in. I wasn't worried about. That wasn't helpful for me. This was bringing me down. All these things began to come up, and I wasn't going through a checklist of all the things I had to stop doing. The Lord was able to do it in my life. Listen, if you are thinking, I'm just going to leave here tonight and try to think about the list of stuff he's talked about and try to eliminate all these things, you can do it, and I think it will be helpful, but it's probably not going to last. But if you will leave here and say, I just want to put my eyes on Jesus, become like him, and get my relationship with him to the best possible place it can be, you will watch as the rest of the things begin to fall off. That's how it becomes possible. And some of you are going, I just, maybe now I'm ready to get married. Good. Get married. I think that wanting to sleep with your spouse is a good reason to get married. It's not the only reason. Don't cut that short. Tell all your friends. It is a good reason to get married. It is part of God's design. It's not the only reason you'll be very disappointed about a week later. But it is a good reason. What's good about what we've been doing over the last few weeks is we've been helping you to prepare on how to deal with all this. How to be in a relationship. How to do it well in a way that honors the Lord. You are set up to win. Listen, some of us, let's just be real. If you would just grow up a little bit sooner, you could have been married already. Every once in a while I pause so you can think about it. It's true. Now the second part of this is this. Is it worth it? Is it worth it? You tell me. If you've ever worked really hard, working out to try to get to something. You wanted to look different, you wanted to lose weight or whatever it was. You tell me, was it worth it when you got there? Was all the hard work, the self-sacrifice, the self-discipline. Man, was it worth it when you got there? Probably was. Was it worth it when you said, hey, you know what? I'm going to change my eating habits because I care. And you worked really hard and you sacrificed in areas that you didn't think you'd ever sacrifice, but you did. It Was it worth it? I think it is. Okay. How many of you like movies? All right. One of the worst things that's ever happened to movies is trailers. It's one of the worst things. I actually love trailers. I'm a big movie guy. I actually love the idea of trailers. But what happens is it ruins the movie for me. It shows me all the best parts, right? Especially the movie's really bad. You see all the best stuff, and then you sit there for two hours and like, what in the world? That was worthless. I saw the whole thing. Listen, this area, this topic is no different. Stop giving yourself all these trailers and wait for the full picture to happen on this night. Guys, listen. And girls, both of you, listen, if you will take this seriously, I'm telling you, and I don't know, this may be super sacrilegious, I don't know, we'll know later. Your wedding night, your wedding night is going to be the most amazing experience you have ever had if you will start right now trying to pursue these things we've been talking about. Listen, when you get... You find someone, I think you should do it now, but 
you find someone or you get engaged or whatever, you just say, man, I am going on a mission. I don't want to see, uh, I don't want to see any nudity. I don't want to hear any kind of love song. I don't want to, I don't, I'm going to completely cut off all of it. I don't want, I'm not, if I don't have to, if I don't watch TV, fine, whatever it takes. I want the next, be honest here, sorry, y'all are adults. I want the next naked person I see to be my spouse. I want the next, any kind of sexual image that I have, any kind of thought, I want it to be my spouse. I want everything to be centered around that moment. And so I'm going to work this hard because I want that moment to be special. I want that moment to be unbelievable. And can I tell you something? This is why God has created these things as well. God gave us all of this, all this, this talk, all these scriptures on sexual morality and all this because he wants that moment and these moments with your spouse to be that way. Because he cares. All great gifts that God has given, they always have boundaries. Because God cares. Because he loves you and he loves me. And I hope because you love each other, you're willing to make changes in your life. I know not all of us are here right now, but we're all going to be there at some point. I hope you'll take some of this to heart. I hope you'll take it all to heart. Some tough topics, some tough conversations. But here's the big thing. Some of you I know, you're going, man, this sucks. Because I've already destroyed all of this. And I would say to you, then you're just like I was. You're just like I was. I'll never forget when I sat down with my wife, Sarah. We had been dating, I don't know how long. We had been dating for a while. And the talk finally happened. Do you know what I'm talking about? When you begin to unveil what your past history relationally has been like. And I kind of always knew, my wife, um, you don't get to see her very much right now because we have two kids and they, they prevent her from being able to come here often. But she grew up in a wonderful Christian home. She wasn't perfect, but she was as close to perfect as they come, all right? And, and she just, just didn't make mistakes really in this area. And I always knew a day was coming when we were going to have to have this conversation. And I knew when that day came, it was going to be over. It was going to be over. I just, I'd embraced it. So I said, you know, I'm going to enjoy this relationship while I can. At that point, I was doing everything I could to stay godly and holy and to treat her well. And all this stuff I've been talking to you guys, the stuff I'd already soaked in in my life. And then it came, the moment, the conversation. We were on the phone. I don't know if that was better or not. I'm not sure. But we were on the phone. And so it came up. Somehow we started to talk about it. And she kind of shared. And it lasted like 10 seconds. And I was like, oh, my gosh. This is not good. And then the, the conversation transitioned over to me. And so I just said, hey, you know what? Again, trying to do all these things right. I'm just going to be honest. I'm going to be real. It was the right time, by the way, for us to have that conversation. We hadn't just been dating for a couple weeks. We had really waited. And that moment came. And I said, you know what? I'm going to be honest. I'm going to share as much as I think I need to share. Not every single detail, but I'm going to be real. And I unloaded all of my past and gave as much as I felt like was appropriate, which I, to this day, wish I wouldn't have had to do. But I shared it all. And then guess what happened as soon as I shared it? It was silent. And I remember, it probably wasn't that long, but it felt like an hour. And I was just sitting there on the phone. I don't know if it was the best idea because I couldn't see her face. I don't know if she, like, kicked the table or burnt something down. I have no idea. She just was silent. And I'm sitting there holding the phone, and I'm like, that's it. It was great while it lasted. She was awesome. I never stood a chance in the first place. You know, it is what it is. And then all of a sudden, her voice came back over the phone. She said, I'm going to ask you a question. I said, Woo, all right. And she said, 
have you asked God to forgive you? I say, yes. I mean, so many times, Sarah, you don't understand. Like, I've struggled with this for so long because it was so bad. It was so deep and dark. And I've asked God so many times. The more I got to know him, the more I realized how tough. Yes, 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 yes. And she said, okay, okay, okay. Do you believe that God has forgiven you? And I had to sit there for a minute because I'm going to be honest with you. Probably thinking what most of, like, many of you are thinking in this room. I didn't think for a long time that God could forgive me for all the things that I had done and all the people that I had hurt. But over the years of doing what I just told you, of trying to pursue the Lord and get to know him and be like him, what I discovered was that his forgiveness extends even into my darkest areas. And so in that moment, with all honesty, I was able to say without a doubt, yes, I know that God has forgiven me. And then it was silent again. And I thought, man, I know she didn't just do that to then dump me. Like, that was cold, right? (laughs) And then she said, then I forgive you too. And I never want to talk about this again. And then we got married. Years later, but we got married. Can I tell you something? I did not deserve her based on her history compared to my history. She should have waited for somebody else that waited for her. That's what she deserved. But in that moment, she understood that God's forgiveness was greater than our deepest, darkest secrets. And she was in a healthy enough place to be able to look at not the man that I was, but the man that I had become and would hopefully continue to grow to be. And she forgave me that night on the phone. And that was the turning point for us to go from this could be potential to this is probably the one. Can I tell you something? I know there's a lot of you in here that you're probably no different than I was or or right around it. And I know when you talk about this and you hear about this and you go, man, I wish you had started with this because I've been just feeling like the weight of the world's been on me as you've been talking one category after another. Can I tell you something? It's a good thing because it reminds you and I how real this is. But here's what we're going to end with. God loves you so much that he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross, a bloody, brutal death for the totality of all of your sin. There is not one thing you have done, there is not one thing you can do or ever will do that will not be covered by the cross. God doesn't want you and I to live in Graceville and do whatever we want because we know he's gonna forgive not. That's not his desire and you can believe there's gonna be some pain that comes if you decide to live that way. But God wants every one of us, starting with me, to know in this moment, if it's the first time you've ever heard, that he loves you and that he is willing to forgive you. He says this, if we confess our sins, he, I'll translate it, I am faithful and just to forgive all sin and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Listen, that's the best news we could ever hear. God loves us so much that he says, if you'll just confess that sin, lay it in front of me, let me take that burden off your back and let's start the process of restoration. 
For those of you in the room that you have worked really hard to make sure you've been found faithful in this area, I want to say to you, praise the Lord. May you walk out of here with great joy and confirmation that you have been faithful. That is a wonderful thing. And you're going to have to deal with the thing that Sarah dealt with. And you're going to have to figure out, listen, you don't have to be with someone that didn't wait for you. You get that choice. You may decide, like Sarah did, that that choice was not greater than the opportunity, and that will be your call. But don't you for one minute feel bad if you decide to not wait for someone that didn't wait for you. That's fine. For the rest of us in here, that the, whatever the area is that we've struggled here, let's find our forgiveness in Christ. Let's allow him to wash us, to make us white as snow, to make us new creations. And then let's leave this, like Sarah said, and never talk about it again. Let's pursue the Lord and let's walk in a new way. Listen, some of you right now, I know you're in this room. Maybe you're dating or you're in a relationship or maybe just got out. Listen, whatever it is, talk it out, figure it out, make the changes that you feel like the Lord's leading you to make. Make them and don't look back. It doesn't have to end because this hasn't been done well. But don't be afraid to end it if that's necessary. That's not an encouragement. That's just a thought for you to think about. But it is far better to do this right. It is worth it. And a wedding night that you will never forget will be saturated in how we live from this moment on. Here's the last thing I want to say, just one more verse. James 5.16 says this. Therefore, confess your sins one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Listen, some of us, the reason we keep stumbling is because we're trying to do this on our own. God says, first you pray to me, you confess, and I will forgive and I will remove. But then he says, I want you. You don't have to stand up in this room and shout it to everyone. In fact, don't do that. That's not a good idea. But he says, I want you to find one person, two people, maybe three people that you trust with your life, that you will lay down for and say, listen, I need to be honest with you. I am struggling, and I need you to pray for me, and I need you to walk with me. And I think this room is full of people that will gladly do it, and there's a good chance the person you ask is going to turn right back around and say, well, <laughs> since you brought it up, I'm struggling too. Maybe it's not the same area, but would you mind praying for me? And you know what's amazing? As we begin to do this, all of a sudden, the restoration process begins to happen. And God, which has already forgiven the heart, begins to take that heart and that love and overflow into each other. And communities are built, relationships are established, and healing takes place. Listen, if you're struggling with pornography, don't try to fight this on your own. It's going to be really hard. Not impossible, but really hard. Get some help. If you're in a relationship, you don't need to talk this through. Talk it out together, and then get someone to come in alongside of y'all. Talk it through with you. Get some help, and if you can't fix it, end it. It's all right. It's okay. There will be other people out there. It's all good. But if you can make it work, praise the Lord. Do that, and do it well. Listen, if you're engaged, or you're about to get engaged, or in a couple months, remember this. It's worth it to wait. You're almost there, all right? You, are, you can see the finish line. Make it there. Work hard, make it a priority, because I'm telling you, it'll make that night that much more special. This is God's desire, and I hope that it's been encouraging. Please, 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 please do not leave here without laying this stuff at the foot of the cross. Please don't do it. This is why we are here, because God is here, and he wants you to know that he is ready to forgive. 
his arms are open, and it's nothing, nothing but the blood of Jesus that can wash you and I white as snow. 